Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Tonight's scripture reading will come from John 14:27 and then Matthew 5, verse 9. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Please be seated. I came tonight to talk about peace. Peace. I don't know that we talk about it a lot. I think we probably think about it a good bit. But in Scripture, you find interesting things. The word peace is found 400 times in the Bible. 400 times. When the Apostle Paul wrote his epistles, every single one would begin in in the first verses with a wish or a prayer for peace for those people. As a matter of fact, the longest he ever waited in one of those epistles to mention peace was in Romans, and it's in the seventh verse there. The word peace is found in three different ways in the New Testament or or in the Bible. The first one is peace that we make with God. Matthew 5 and verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers. For they should be called the children of God. And that's very easy when you read that to think that he's talking about people who help other people, individuals, get people get peace. That's not what he's talking about. You, you, could, you could get a Nobel Peace Prize and still be ungodly, right? I mean, we know that for a fact, don't we? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. Who is it that's called the sons of God? And the answer is people who make peace with God. Make peace with God and you'll be called one of his children. So there's that peace. It's a peace that's made with God. The next peace is the peace that's made with people. And there are things sometimes that we can do about that, and sometimes we cannot. But Romans chapter 12 and verse 18 says, As much as lies in you, live, remember, peaceably with all men, as much as you can. As much as it's with you, you make sure that you do what you can to live peaceably with all men. The third kind is the kind that we're talking about tonight. I'm going to talk about about the peace of contentment. Now, sometimes when we talk about happiness, we we may say that that that's um, equated to pleasure. We might say that the synonymous term for happiness is pleasure. I rather doubt that. Pleasure comes, I mean, there's nothing wrong with pleasure within God's boundaries, but pleasure is something that comes in small moments, small increments of time as we live our lives. Once in a while, you'll have what's called what we would describe as pleasure. Peace is is more akin to happiness. To be happy is to have peace. Do you have it? Would you say tonight that that you possess peace? In about 1980, Duke University is said to have done a study on, on what brings people peace or what subtracts peace of mind from people's lives. I came across that study recently, and it has eight things. That's what they distilled this down to, was eight things. Now, what was interesting 
And what I want to do for this sermon tonight, I understand the difference between the Bible, I preach the Bible, and, and Duke University, I got that. But what I want to do is to say this, when you read this list, after this study, what they concluded is all from Scripture. Now, they didn't say that. I'm not even sure they realized that. But I want to show you the eight things, and we're going to go to the Bible and demonstrate that these things have always been here. It was it, They just discovered it. It was already here from the Word of God before they had this study. So let's go through the list. Can we bring up the list here? You got it? Okay, that's okay. All right, number one. They said the absence of suspicion and resentment toward other people. This one has to do with grudges. Grudges. What's the Bible have to say about that? Where'd you learn that you shouldn't have them? Now, sometimes people live in such a way that true forgiveness, biblical forgiveness, is not really possible because they continue persistently in their sin. Not, they're not ashamed of their sin. And sometimes all that I can do to obtain forgiveness fails, and so what I do, what I have to do is let it go. But what I want to show you here is that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says that, that love thinks no evil. Now, what does that mean? It's one of those examples where going a little bit deeper into the Greek language helps you understand it, but it's a banking term, and it has to do with keeping a ledger. And the idea is that, that I would keep my eye so much on some individual, some person, that it would be like keeping a list of all the grievances I had, and I would nurse those grudges. And he says, don't do that. Love's not like that. In fact, love believes all things and endures all things and hopes all things. That's the position I'm to have toward people. And so I already knew this. I mean, from Scripture, we should have already known this, is that if you want to have peace, one thing you have to do is to get rid of grudges. You have to get rid of suspicions and resentment of other people. It'll follow you around. It will follow you around. You, you think about when you start hating somebody. What happens is you become a slave to them. Even when they're nowhere around, you're thinking about them and they're bothering you. Make a vow to your God. If you haven't already done this, make a vow to yourself and to your God. I will not hate anybody. It won't hurt him anyhow. It's not going to hurt that person who you hate. It's going to hurt you. And, and you want peace. One thing is I've got to get rid of the grudges. All right, number two. It's about not living in the past. It's about not having a preoccupation, they said, with failures. And that's a good one. That's right, of course. And the fact of the matter is, we all have some regrets. I, I like to say that regrets are like ears. Everybody's got a couple. You have things in your life that you regret. Are there times in your life when, I mean, you haven't thought about that thing that embarrasses you and you feel so bad, guilty about it. Happened years ago. And then something is said, something comes up, something you read, and suddenly you start thinking about it and you hurt all over again from it. Do you do that sometimes? They said, number two, that, that if you want peace, it's about not living in the past, not having a preoccupation with failures. Now, as Christians, we know that what happens when we've done something wrong, the first thing we've got to do is fix it. I mean, with God. You've got to fix it with God. So we come to him on, on his terms. We make that right. Is there something right now, tonight, that you need to make right with somebody? And if so, you won't have peace till you do that. You need to fix it. 
people, people around us who we think about as having peace in their lives, they seem so contented. Don't you know that they have things in their past which they regret? And so Paul said in Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind. Can you do that? And reaching forward to the things which are before, I press toward the mark. What Duke University said was, if you want to have peace, what you have to do is to stop living in the past. I love Psalm 51.10, and maybe, maybe we emphasize the first part of this verse more than the second. But, but David wrote, created me a clean heart, O God, listen to the second part, and renew a right spirit within me. I really like that last part. It's about peace. I want that kind of peace. Number three, they said not wasting time or energy on fighting conditions that you cannot change. And the way they phrased it was, you've got to cooperate with life and don't run away from it. I think there are a ton of different applications of this in life. Things that I conclude that I cannot fix. I wish I could fix them. And maybe it's in reference to some sickness. Maybe it's in reference to some loved one and, and problems in their lives. And everything that you thought of to do, you've already done, but it's unsuccessful. I want to apply it, though, to marriage. I mean, I'm just, just picking one out. And, and one, of the, one of the things that, that you've got to learn if you want peace is that there may be things about your spouse that you can't fix. Are there? I'm not talking about serious things. I'm talking about the small things. Are there things right now about your spouse that you would like to just tweak a little bit, that you would like to change a little bit? And how much have you fretted over those things and, and been unsuccessful in it? Now, we're talking about peace. I just think this is applicable. So Ephesians chapter 5 says, I want a husband to love his wife as he loves himself. How smart is that? And that a wife is to be a help meet for her husband. That means perfectly suited for her husband. I think it's possible. And this can happen both ways. But a, a wife may be, become like those old vinyl albums, the 33s, you know. And some of you are old enough to remember those 33 RPM, but the young people won't appreciate this. But, but if you ever got a scratch on one, then it would repeat the same line over and over and over and over and drive you crazy. You could just leave it all day long and it would stay right there and, and, and repeat that line. And I think that can happen in your marriage too. She can get to where she says to him, you're so insensitive, you're so insensitive, you're so insensitive, and it can just keep going like that. Listen, it is unlikely that you will ever change these things about your spouse. I know that's bad news. But what you can do is to create the kind of atmosphere in your marriage where your spouse can be what you really hope he or she can be. So anyway, what they said was, is that, is that peace is robbed when we're, not, when we're wasting so much time and energy on fighting conditions that we cannot change. Number four. Force yourself to stay involved with the living world. When you find yourself in discouraging times or you feel depression coming on, it's just so easy to, to separate yourself from people. And they said, don't do that. You've got to stay with people. Now, where did we learn that? I just think it's fascinating. I always have thought it was fascinating about the church that he didn't make Christians into isolated servants of God. He could have, you know, right? 
I mean, where we didn't assemble, where we weren't part of a group exactly, where we just carried out our own Christianity all by ourselves. Now, why didn't he do that? Why? John 13, 35, this is a commandment, he says, Jesus says, that you love one another. As I have loved you, I want you to love one another. I want you to be connected. Look around you. What I like to say is that these are your people. Your people. And, and they're your people in a way that is more important than flesh and blood. You're, you're, you're a family. We're a family in Christ. These are our brothers and sisters. And what the Lord did was to create a church. And by the word, ecclesia, the, the word ecclesia means assembling. It's an assembling group of people. Always has been. Why? Well, Hebrews 10.25 is the most well-known verse about that. Forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as a matter of some is. Ready? But exhorting one another. The opposite of forsaking it would be coming together and we exhort one another. You suppose that that you or I could lose a loved one or have some failure in life, some crushing failure in life, and that my reaction would be that I just want to separate myself from the people in the church. I've known of folks who have done this. It's just interesting here that Duke University came with this study, and what they said was, if you want peace, force yourself to stay involved with the living world. Don't withdraw. Galatians 6, 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Our elders work very hard and others work very hard to have outside activities in this church other than worship. That's really important. I do not know how we would be familiar enough with one another's burdens to bear each other's burdens if, if we had to rely just on our worship assembly to learn them. I mean, think about it right now. We're worshiping God this very moment, but you're not getting to know the problems of the people around you because you're listening to me preach, right? We need these outside times to be together. And anyway, that's, that's, that's what Duke is saying here. And of course, that's biblical. Here's number five. Refuse to indulge in self-pity when life hands you a raw deal. Accept the fact that nobody gets through this life without some of this. And so, 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. We're not so unusual, are we? Sometimes life may ha- hand you a raw deal. Philippians 4 and 11. Not that I speak in respect of want. Now wait, I'm going to read this to you, but I want you to appreciate that what Paul is saying is that I cannot, I I refuse to let the conditions, the circumstances surrounding me and the trivia of life, the minutia of life, I refuse to let that decide how I'm going to view things. I won't. Paul said, I know how to be abased and how to abound. I know how to be full and how to be hungry. I know how to abound and to suffer need. Number six, they said cultivate old-fashioned virtues. Wow. So does 2 Peter 1 and verse 5 echo in your ears? Giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness, godliness and brotherly kindness and love. If these things be in you and abound, now watch this, because this ties right in. They'll make you that you'll neither be fruitless nor barren. 
My life's going to be blessed. I've got to cultivate old-fashioned virtues. Here's number seven of our eight. Do not expect too much of yourself. The way this, I think, is so applicable to Christians' lives is to deal with, you've got to think about the, the infinite things. The, the infinite things. And sometimes a Christian uh, expects more of himself than he can deliver because he's swimming in those infinite waters. When you think about the number of people in this world who are lost and need the gospel, we're preaching and teaching the gospel in a local way, in a worldwide way, but the fact of the matter is one man's never going to teach the whole world the gospel. You think about that infinite number, at least to our way of thinking, it's infinite. The infinite number of people who need help and attention will always be bigger than one person can do. It always will. Number three, the infinitely perfect standard to which we adhere. And none of us are ever going to be able to perfect to, to perfectly do all that it says. According to this study, if you want to have peace, you kind of have to come to grips with the fact that you can expect too much of yourself. When there's this, this wide gap between self-expectation and our ability, we get these, these feelings of inadequacy and it may make us give up. You want peace? I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do... Forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize high calling of God. I'm not going to give up. But I'm also going to appreciate that a pickup truck is good for one load at a time. And you put more than that on that truck, and it's going to break down. And there's something about that to human beings. Here's number eight, the last one. The study said, find something bigger than yourself to believe in. I find that sort of amusing because it seems to me that people sure do sometimes go out of their way to not talk about the Almighty God. Find something bigger than yourself to believe in. Well, you know what that is. And and here's Psalm 85 and 10. It says that righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Just isn't that interesting? You want peace? It's connected to righteousness. They're so connected that he uses this Terminology, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Or Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. I'm so thankful to be a Christian. Aren't you? You want to talk about happiness? Don't be, don't be thinking about pleasure. Everybody enjoys pleasure, but that's not what real happiness is. Real happiness is about peace. And the the psalmist says, I want you to seek peace and pursue it. And these are just a few things that will help us to do that. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 39, we have these words. Now, I'm not going to give you the context because you already know the context. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. 
When you come up out of the waters of baptism, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, beginning in 3 and following, that you rise to walk in newness of life. And part of that newness is that I've got a handle on peace that people outside of Christ do not have. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.